All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 671 points or 2%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 125 points, or 2.9%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 470 points, or 3.5%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 11.8%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 17.9%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So... Another week. So are we still calling this a correction? Uh, well, it started at the beginning of the year as a correction, trying to handicap what the Federal Reserve was going to be doing in their meeting that is coming up uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. But uh, with what Vladimir Putin is doing to the Ukraine, this is obviously, in my feelings, is exacerbated uh, and probably is prolonged this correction, this corrective move. And like I said on last weekend's show, I feel that it's more of a buyer strike than it is any exorbitant level of selling that has taken place in this last week. But as I was talking on last weekend's show, there's the different technical support levels for the S&P 500 and the resistance level in the S&P 500 has definitely been holding true this past week. Now, it did break a little bit below the support level on the S&P 500 of 4,200 to actually close at 4,170, and it closed on the 8th, March 8th, at 4,170. And we haven't been able to break above and stay above the 4,400-point level on the S&P 500. So we're just churning and have been churning between this range for you know quite a period of time. Between forty two hundred and forty four hundred is the trading range essentially. I mean, yeah, I mean it really is. It's 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 a two hundred point trading range that the S and P is in, and and I just have this feeling 
that there's just a lot of individual investors, uh, even some professional money managers that are just kind of sitting back. They're sitting back, they've raised cash, they're sitting on cash, and they're looking for that point to come in. Now, I said on last weekend's show, if you're a long-term investor and you have plenty of fresh powder sitting on the sidelines, you know, slowly, incrementally starting to step into this market, I don't think you're going to look back 12 to 18 months from now and regret making that decision. Now, of course, I do not advise going whole hog and saying if you're 10%, 15% in cash, you put all that cash to work next week. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But going in maybe 2%, maybe 3%, and just start building and dollar-cost averaging this fresh powder you've had on the sidelines into the markets. Because, again, right now this seems more like a trader's market of anything else. Because I think a lot of the long-term investors are just kind of hanging back in and around here. And at Davidson Capital Management, we're long-term investors. And so next week might be the point in time where we slowly, incrementally start stepping in. I know, Joe, you and I had lengthy conversations on Friday as far as kind of the the steps, the process of steps that we were going to take in our portfolios of doing specific rebalancing and where we're going to be doing some rebalancing, maybe some selective rebalancing in individual stocks. And then I've been vetting a buy list of multiple stocks that that we have sold off in our individual stock and bond portfolio and names that we could replace them with. The one thing I wanted to talk about, we do a lot of research, and I was researching large cap growth stocks and ETFs. And the one thing that that it seemed to be across the board is a concentration of, 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 uh, essentially when you'd have the top 10 holdings, 40% of the portfolio to 50% of the portfolio would be in the top 10 holdings. You're, your, your apples, your Microsofts. And one of the, the tough things to do is search for a pretty well diversified large cap growth stock fund or ETF and try to find the lowest PE ratio. That was the other thing I was looking at. And I think if you look at where the NASDAQ is year to date, it's essentially in bear market territory. Yeah, it's down 17% for the year, but it's close to down 20, uh, from its all time high. And that's the area that seems to be taken to the woodshed, especially if they miss any earnings or, or their forecast is, is, uh, is not clear. Well, we're seeing this trend of the higher price earning multiple stocks that either give kind of dial back forward guidance. Like let's say they, they beat on their top and bottom line, but just dial back their forward guidance, which a lot of CEOs have been doing. And if you're a higher PE stock, then yes, you're getting taken out to the woodshed and just absolutely getting the life flogged out of you. Uh, and I mean, we saw that on Friday with, with DocuSign. You know, we saw DocuSign down 20% in one day and we've seen some other stocks. I mean, let's take a pharmaceutical Moderna. You know, Moderna earlier this past week was down almost 75% from its all-time high. Now, last I checked, Moderna was a big provider of the COVID vaccine. Well, this isn't all they do. And they've got a very strong balance sheet. they got a lot of cash on hand, and they're making other vaccines and other drugs other than the COVID vaccine, which we're still going to need into the future. But to be down 75% from its all-time high, you just have to scratch your head when you see something like that. And there's a lot of stocks that are out there right now that are really just head scratchers, the way they've absolutely been bludgeoned 
since the beginning of the year. And so some of these stocks definitely can give you an opportunity to start looking at some buys. And I can tell you that majority of this past week, I have been buried deep in the weeds doing a ton of research and particularly focusing on industrial sectors of the market that perform better in a higher interest rate, higher inflationary environment, and also particular asset classes that perform better. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments about the show and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, and I went back and was just looking at the technical charts that I mentioned this on last weekend's show. So for anyone who didn't catch last weekend's show, the S&P 500 seems to be within this trading range of 4,400 on the, on the top side, which is what we call resistance, and around 4,200 on the support level. And we have been trading in this range going back to February, uh, to not February 14th, basically to Valentine's Day is where we've been trapped in this range, uh, on the markets. And, there's periods of time where we see this. I mean, Jeff, we can harken back to 2014 and 2015 where there was a 22-month time span where people, you know, long-time listeners heard me talk about the S&P 500 doing the cha-cha where it seemed like it was taking two steps forward and two steps back. It didn't really go anywhere, and we saw a period of time of almost 22 months from one point to another point, 22 months out, the S&P 500 hardly moved a point. But did a lot, there was a lot of volatility and a lot of frequency during those 22 months between 2014 and 2015. I know you remember that time well, Jeff. I remember it. I, I think what's happening right now is a situation where you've got all these folks that bought in, say, in the first, first part of the year, January, and only to, if they bought some of these high, high PE tech names. Uh, in their portfolio and then saw them go against them pretty strong. They're selling every rally. You know, in the past for two, three years, if you bought every decline, you were rewarded, right? You were rewarded every time here in the last three years. Now folks have been buying, buying these declines have not been rewarded because it just goes a little bit lower. And so if you're not getting now the, the sentiment has changed. And so when you have, we had, we had days this week where the markets were up really strong only to have the next day. Let's give it all back on Friday. You know, we had the futures up 500 points at 5 a.m., 530 mm-hmm. in the morning. And we yep. ended up down. We ended up down for the day. You know, how many people sold those stocks they had bought two weeks ago that maybe got even or you know who or, or their or their losses got lower. And so I 
pardon me, as you said, Kyle, we're in this range-bound market. I've, I've got to see the market stop following up a good up day with a, with a, with a down day that, that offsets everything that happened the previous day. We've got to have two or three or a week or two weeks of its, of the market to stop doing this until I start to feel more comfortable about committing more money in, into the market, especially on individual stock side. I think it is extremely difficult right now to pick individual stocks, unless you're picking something like a Moderna, something that has earnings, something that has a dividend, something that doesn't make sense why it's down so much from its high. Uh, but those those stocks are really fewer and far between. I'm not going to, I mean, a, buying a DocuSign here or a Zoom or a or Peloton. Peloton. You know, these no. stocks, these stocks that are in that same category as the, uh, uh, you know, all the COVID stocks. You know, buying some of those stocks here, very difficult to do. Buying stocks at this time, in this environment, this close to earnings, when the, the E part of the price-to-earnings ratio is so much in question. I mean, if a company is going to deliver earnings news that is going to be lower than expectations, we're going to start to hear those here in the second quarter. You know, I'm thinking of the big cap tech names like the Apples and the Microsofts that had good earnings reports in the first quarter, which is for the fourth quarter of 2021, and they didn't get thrown out, you know, like Facebook did or Meta. Remember how much Meta got thrown out? Has Meta really recovered any of that that it's that it that it got thrown out for its earnings? No, it didn't snap back. It's just kind of trended a little bit lower. Uh, if one of those big cap tech names come the second quarter earnings reports, which are going to be out in, I guess, about a month, has any issues, they're going to be hitting those earnings with a fine-tooth comb. Every number, every outlook uh, for the future. And if, if there's an issue, you know, is Microsoft or Apple the next 20% down on the, on the, on the first trade? Because the, the E is so much in question right now. I don't know what's going to happen in Europe if this war continues to drag on. Are they going to push Europe into recession? And if they do, how is that going to affect these big multinational big cap, big cap tech names that have been holding, you know, the S&P up? I mean, if you look at the average S&P stock, I want to say that, were, that, that I heard a, I heard a statistic about NASDAQ stocks earlier this week that I think greater than 70% of them were 20% or more down from their highs. I have not heard that statistic yet for the S&P 500, but the S&P is only down 11.8%. Why? Big cap tech hasn't had its day uh, in the woodshed yet. Now, is that day coming? Is that when we get those stocks getting taken out to the woodshed, is that when you could say it's a investable bottom? You know, I'm using that in quotations. We're not going to know that now for another month. So what's the catalyst to get the markets to go higher between now and the end of the quarter? Is there going to be a complete cessation of, of military activity in Ukraine in the next two or three weeks? I don't know. None of us know. We're not, none of us are good. What do you think, well, Joe? Well, you, you look at, you look at four different factors. I wrote this down. You have the pandemic. Okay. okay which obviously contributed to inflation, which contributed to help with, with rates, and now you have a geopolitical 
situations. You have four different things you're having to contend with as money, a money manager. And so you say, okay, I'm going to go buy something that seems pretty safe, like consumer staples. Well, in the last week, consumer staples were taken to the woodshed because who's one of the top global suppliers of wheat? Ukraine. I mean, so you look at any kind of industry, any kind of sector you think you have down in this type of environment, to Jeff's point, you really have to do a tremendous amount of homework to pick good stocks, and you better make sure they have a really strong balance sheet, they better have a dividend, and they better have been around for more than 10 years. That's the other well, thing I'll throw out there. They also need to have a price multiple that's you know in line, if not well below that of the S&P 500, because it just we're just seeing this trend of the higher multiple PE stocks just getting nailed if they have, it, like Jeff said, any negative, I mean, even if they're digging into the balance sheet or they don't have you know, enough sales high enough, but they meet on their top and bottom line on their earnings, they miss one little matrix and they are getting taken out. But one thing I did want to say on, on Jeff's comment or statement that he had, for long-term investors, for long-term investors, you can look back 12, 18, 24 months from now and I think they'll look back and say, you know what, this was a good buying opportunity. But right now, in this moment, it doesn't feel as comfortable. And, you know, if you go back to, to Warren Buffett, when pessimism is at the highest, this is when you should slowly, incrementally be putting some money back to work, albeit very smartly, very wisely, and you have to do your homework to do it. If you're a long-term investor, right now, this is really, I would say, more of a trader's market. And what 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 did Warren Buffett also say here in the last few weeks when he put out his market comment to his shareholders? I think maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. What else did he say? He said he didn't see anything in any asset class right now that looked cheap. That's what he said. Stocks, real estate. I mean, think of all the asset classes, gold, commodities. I mean, he didn't see anything that looked cheap. Um, and well, I would, I would have to say, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, PEs have come down. We can all agree PEs have come down because the market's come down. The problem is, is that, is that the E may not be right. And if the E's not right, then these PE numbers that we're seeing right now may really need to be lower than they really are, than they are right now because we just don't know what the E is. Now we're going to get a better idea what the, we're going to get a little picture. Of how of where the E is here in about a month, and my you, you know my concern is that if there's these companies that need to put out some so you need to bring down their expectations are going to do it and they're going to do it in the second quarter. Would you bring down your expectations when your stock is already down thirty or forty percent from its high? Probably. Does that mean it's going to go down another 20 or 30% if you bring down your expectations? I guess it depends on the stock and it depends on what your price to earnings ratio is at the time you come out and, and lower the expectations a little bit farther. Could um, we see, could we see I, selling I would of rumors? I would say in this market right now, to me, you have to break out the playbook that we used in the financial crisis and in the uh, COVID. And that is, it's very, very difficult on the individual stock side to, to pick individual stocks to add to your portfolio. It's a little bit easier to put mo- money into the exchange-traded funds in an environment like this. I know we're coming from the break, so I'll continue on the other side. 
And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, Jeff, I know you kind of your point got cut off right at the bottom of the hour. Um, so you were talking about in this kind of cur- current market environment, you know, being that we've been managing money actively for 33 in our 33rd year now, we've gone through a lot of market cycles. We've gone through the dot com bubble bursting. We've gone through the housing crisis, gone through the financial crisis, different geopolitical events, different presidents. Uh, changes in monetary policy. I mean, you name it. In, in the last 33 years, we have managed, actively managed assets through it. COVID, another most recent example in March, February, March of 2020. But you're talking about the kind of playbook that we developed over the last 33 years, and you were just making that point. So I wanted to turn it back over to you just to recap what you were talking about before the bottom of the hour break. So when it comes to Trying to pick individual stocks right now in this environment, it's it's extremely difficult. I think if you're going to be in individual stocks, number one, I, I just can't see buying buying something that's multiples above the current S&P 500 uh, average P.E. ratio, which is somewhere in the high teens. Gentlemen, is that correct? Like it's like I keep hearing 18, 18 19. 19. Yeah. So if it's if it's 40, you know, yeah. Maybe you can buy it after their earnings announcement. You know, most of most of our listeners are probably in mutual funds. They're probably you know investing through their four hundred one k. And the kind of advice that I would that I would give there is is that if you're in like a if your four hundred one k has a managed option and you're in that managed option, I bet you you've got exposure to international. We haven't had any exposure international for a number of years, and in this environment right now. Uh, though international was doing a little bit better than our domestic markets here at the beginning of the year into February, that's all flipped around. Uh, and now the international markets are doing just as poorly, if not worse than the domestic markets. And, you know, European stocks right now, I, I wouldn't be touching them with a 10 foot pole. I don't know what's going to happen in Europe, uh, longer term because we don't know what the direction of the war is going to be. The longer this, the longer the war drags on, uh, the longer we're going to have these elevated oil prices. The longer the markets are going to trade on those elevated uh, oil prices, just as they traded in the very exact opposite. Uh, what was it, six, seven years ago, when the market was going down every day that oil went down in price? It's really, it's really strange, you know, that the markets behave in that way. But now it's the opposite. Oil goes up, the market typically goes down. And this the whole this whole inflation to me now the COVID stuff is in the rearview mirror, and now it's about all these input costs 
that had just been rising and rising and rising. And with with oil at the, at the where it is now and gasoline prices where they are now, <clears throat> it's guaranteed that the March number that won't be for for CPI that comes out in April will be just as high as the number for February that just came out last week, which which was with seven point nine percent inflation. Twelve months highest. ended 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 February seven point nine highest since. 1982. 1982, July of 82. Yeah, I mean, that, that, there's, there's no. And when you, when you, when you tie that it. together, when you tie that together with the, the, the Federal Reserve and, and our dad's, dad's hitting me over the head with a bas- baseball bat right now as I'm saying the Federal Reserve. But when you tie that together with what they're going to be doing, um, it, it it adds up to a heightened level of of volatility, a heightened level of questioning uh, future growth, future earnings, and when you have those kind of questions in the near term, it's it's very difficult to pick individual stocks. It's very difficult to get out of trading ranges, which is what we're seem to be in right now. But if you're like I said, if you're the long-term investor and you and you can just buy something today and forget about it for the for the next two years, next three years, ninety, it's going to be a high probability that you that you would have made a good decision buying here. I just don't know that it's not going to go lower. You know, I've been I've been saying that we've got to get all the make it major market indexes down twenty percent for the year. Uh, before I would start to feel comfortable really committing new money into the market. We've already reached it there in the NASDAQ. We're not there in the Dow. The Dow's doing the best. Uh, the S&P is a little over halfway there, may have been a little worse earlier this week. But we may get there with these. We may get a reprieve here into the end of the quarter, Get some buyers come in, maybe maybe bring the markets up a little bit before the end of the quarter. If the news from Ukraine doesn't get worse, if it looks like they're headed to a resolution in the direction of a resolution, but then we have to then we got the earnings news in the second quarter. And the other thing, another wild card is is that companies could start pre-announcing earnings issues here in the next couple of weeks. And if we have a few of those come out from some from some key companies. That's definitely going to have an effect on sentiment. Yeah, Joe, you want to say something? Well, we, we were talking about – no, go ahead. I know Kyle wanted to say something, and I'll we'll hear what Kyle Well, Well, all, all I was going to say is, you know, because, Jeff, I know you and I have had this conversation during portfolio strategy meetings of, you know, what is what is that next catalyst that would get the S&P 500 to that traditional bear market correction of being down 20% for the year? And when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, you know, Putin is not going to be using a nuclear weapon. So that's off the table. That, so we don't need to worry, be worrying about that. We, you can't, already you got, can't run. Yeah, you can't make investment management decisions in a portfolio with an Armageddon type uh, uh, situation. We, we just don't. No one manages portfolios that way. Yeah. So, so, so that's so just not, that's not a, for that matter. I mean, that would be the well, that would be. Well, and another thing that could be pretty rough. So. But 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 that's that's my question. You know, what is what is the next catalyst? Because here's the bottom line when it comes to Ukraine. And, and one thing that popped the futures at 5 a.m. 
Friday morning was the fact that Putin was quoted as saying that they're making some progress in conversations with Ukraine. So that's what popped the futures. I think what Putin is starting to realize is that it wasn't as easy going as he thought it was going to be. It wasn't as easy going. And now you could possibly have a million to two million Ukrainians that have now been armed, men and women, just sitting in a tree, sitting in a barn somewhere, laying out in a field, just waiting for Russian troops to come by. Putin doesn't have an army big enough to handle one to two million armed Ukrainians, and we know they want to fight like the Dickens to save their country. So I have a feeling that Putin is starting to feel like he's backed into a corner and that it wasn't as easy going as he thought. And I think that's why he's starting to try to say, oh, well, we're making progress in talks to try to save face. I have a feeling that that's the, now the path he's leading down because well, even he's trying if he, to save even face. If he does, even if he does that, we saw an example. So, so the futures go up 500 at 530 in the morning. So what? Everybody, what happened when the market's open? I mean, the market's open. We were, we were up 300, and then people sold. So – We've got to get a resolution, a real resolution in Ukraine. We'll get this relief rally of whatever it is, and then everyone that needed to sell stocks because they didn't because they're traders and they needed to get out of all the names that they bought between mid-January and whenever resolution of hostilities in, in Ukraine happens. Once that's done, you know, then where are we at? By then, it'll probably be earnings time, and we got to hear some of these numbers. We got to hear how these increased prices of all these inputs, fuel, other raw materials, how they are affecting earnings in, especially manufacturing companies. Um, I mean, I'm, the service companies, I'm not not necessarily that they don't have a lot of of. Uh, commodity inputs and, and service type industries, but what's happening with their European business? Is their European business pulling back because of what's, you know, are, are they headed to a recession in Europe? And then we're going to get into this question like, okay, if Europe is in recession, is the U.S. just going to stay out of a recession? Are we going to be this island of not, of, of prosperity where while the rest of the world or a good part of the world economically is in a recession. Yes. Well, we're talking about next week in the, with the Fed meeting. We're talking about rates. How many rate hikes are we going to have? Are we going to have an inverted yield curve? If we have an inverted yield curve, technically that could lead mean a recession is around yeah. the corner. So it, it, it could, but but every recession has, has had an inverted yield curve, but every inverted yield, not every inverted yield curve, curve has started a recession. And I know we're coming up to the break, so I do want to actually bring some rays of sunshine in the next segment to the conversations that we're having. But the bottom line is, is this thing in Ukraine could drag out for months. It could drag out for a year unless Putin finally realizes that it's not going to be as easy as he thought it was and he wants to save face. I mean, bottom line, I I think Russia as a country and as an economy, they're going to be looked at as a third world because with all the corporations, the the multinational corporations that are pulling out that don't want to do business with Russia anymore – I think their economy is going to have a long sled to get back into any good graces with anyone around the world in the future. So let's take another commercial break here, listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and I just wanted to bring in a little bit of ray of light. Now, if you've been listening or just tuning into this weekend's show, S&P 500, the market seemed to be kind of caught in a trading range with different support and resistance levels. And again, I'd say a little bit more of a buyer strike than any exacerbated levels of selling that's taking place. And we've got the Fed meeting coming up next week on Tuesday and Wednesday, their decision. They'll be raising rates. It'll be 25 basis points. They're going to be data dependent. And we could see more prolonged inflationary uh, data because of what is happening between Russia and Ukraine, particularly when it comes to the fuel side, since we now have gas at the highest level it's ever been in history. So I want to bring a little bit of ray of light because, Jeff, you were making the comment, you know, are we going to see a recession in the Eurozone with what all's going on over in Europe with Russia and Ukraine? And will that spill over into the U.S.? So I wanted to bring some ray of light, some rays of light for our listeners here in the U.S., you know, talking about going to the recession and kind of are we or aren't we, here's some things that are just very highlights that you typically don't see when you're going into a recession. First and foremost is employment. I heard this past week and I read a statistic that right now we have over 11 million available jobs. And if we matched all of those available jobs with all the available unemployed people, we would still be short of over 5 million people, meaning that anyone that wants a job can have a job. And a lot of times now these employers are paying higher wage levels to get people to come and work. So you don't typically see a recession when you have unemployment levels this low, but then also this abundance of jobs that are available. Second point. There is $2.6 trillion in excess savings across this country from consumers. $2.6 trillion with a T of excess savings. We also have, and I've said this on, on previous shows, some of the lowest debt servicing costs of the consumers this century currently. So they're flush with cash. They have very limited and low levels of debt, if any debt at all. There is plentiful jobs available for anyone that wants to get off their duff and go to work, and a lot of times being paid higher wages to do so. So some of these higher wage, obviously these higher wages are being absorbed with the higher cost for food and fuel, so it's kind of a net zero at the end of the day. But these are positive things for our economy to be moving in the right direction. COVID is now in the rear view. People are getting back to life as normal. And so we'll start to see things ramp up. Now, Jeff, to your point, I agree. Input costs of manufacturers, that's a big question mark. 
on the raw material costs. We don't know what that's going to be. And, yes, inflation is going to run hotter for longer, but when you see the strength of the consumer, low debt, tons of jobs available, those are some, some, some rays of light that are present that I think it would be very hard to push our economy into a recession as we're emerging from this two years of lockdown due to the COVID pandemic. I, I wanted to say something real quickly, but for the average American, yes, they may have less debt, they may have more savings, and it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that impacts the average American for the next three months or four months while we have these elevated energy energy costs. I mean, yes, if you have savings, that's great. If you don't have a whole lot of debt, that's great. That means you might be able to get through this easier than somebody else. But, I mean. Well, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think gasoline prices are going to be coming down anytime soon because, I mean, think about the, the, the drillers and the, the exploration companies and how many years where oil prices were so depressed and they were still investing money. They were still doing CapEx spending on exploration and drilling and doing all the land surveying and all the, you know, input that they were putting into this, all the money they were spending. Now we've got oil over a hundred dollars a barrel and now they're finally recouping all of these years of investment that they have made when oil was at a much lower level. I mean, I know Jeff had a conversation with, with a client of ours that has some oil wells on their property. I had a conversation this past week with another client here in the San Antonio area that also has oil wells on their, on their property. And they've had phone conversations with the drilling, you know, with the people that are out there drilling on the land. And they're like, yeah, we have a game plan. We're going to stick to it. We're not really looking to do anything in the near, in the near future. We're just kind of sticking to our game plan. So there's you know no why fire lit. There's no fire lit under their rear ends to to go and out why there and is start that? doing more. Why drilling. do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because they don't well, expect I, these prices to last that long. Now, that's true. By the time they, they want price they, stability on the downside. By the time by the time they get all the things that they need to go out and do that well, we could be down twenty dollars a barrel, mm-hmm. right? We I mean, we, I mean, we we could be down or more. I mean, we saw oil go from 140 to 40 in a year. I got a quick question. Speaking of oil, and I was in a couple of segments, I was talking about Desert Storm. Well, that was a little bit before Davidson Capital Management, but during the Iraq War, also during 9/11, we went to Afghanistan. I don't remember what the run-up on energy prices was back then, but I do remember it spiking. So. We're managing money during Desert, Desert Storm. You just, Desert Storm was you just, you just weren't, a, you just weren't on board right? with us. 87. <laughs> Desert so. Storm would have been, I want to think that was 90? 1990? Yeah. I have to go back Early and look 90s. at my geo, geopolitical uh, I I was right, chart. But the, the only thing that I would say to, to what Kyle just said is inflation can erode consumers' ability to continue to spend at the rate that they have been spending these last few years. And there's no doubt that the, these, that higher food and higher energy prices are putting a crimp on budgets. And if it's putting a crimp on budgets, that means there's going to be less money to be spent on other things, which that now I get all the way back to this. What's the E? How much is all of that going to affect the earning side and certain companies? And that story has not been fully told yet. I don't think it's been fully disclosed. And I, we're going to start to hear those stories, in my opinion, here in the next six weeks. And it's going to have implications 
for how much longer we're going to be in this in this trading range. I hope it's not the trading range like you talked about at the beginning of the show, Kyle, that we experienced for, what, 22 months? 2014 to 2015, 22 right. months. I, I hope that's not what, 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 we're, what we're headed into. I think it's going to be something less than that. But I see we're coming up the uh, top of the air break, so I better just leave it at that. <laughs> that's how we'll wrap, wrap up the first that's hour. That's going to wrap it up. That's just going to wrap up the first hour. But, again, if you'd like to talk more about your portfolio, you can reach us. On Monday, 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming up at the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break going to the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, And I found an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners of the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income 
as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the uh, at the beginning of each year they identify the five or ten highest dividend paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year, or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5 I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day. So yeah. it is something over 5%. But the one thing I would say about this, Kyle, you know, the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account, a consistent income. Now, in, in days gone by, obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio. And that was true from the time uh, in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in, in 08. But because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was the say, problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired. That, that they can survive on unless, and as we've talked on this program, if you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest, and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there, there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships 
or illiquid, privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value. Many of the the, the, the mesh limited partnerships, some of the REITs, had large declines in values and saw their yields go up and for whatever reason the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security and having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15% maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value and so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when, we, when reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one one more thing before we go to break is that Dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more. Uh, uh, there's a better treatment of of, of taxation uh, on on those dividend paying stocks than you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And Jeff, I'm glad you brought up right before we went to commercial break the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and I've said I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said oh Kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent uh, dividend yield I'm getting, and I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment, and then I see the look come over their face, saying, "Oh my gosh, I just realized that I was like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture." So for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print in every perspective. As we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. 
five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it, it's it, that's all it. these, all this these, yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go, we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with, with, with folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar, but most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port- have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds. They thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because – interest rates were falling, and so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you, and, and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to to fixed income found out that, yes, you can lose money in bonds. And and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account. I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about. 
talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come in through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans. And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – The one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking 
the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, That's if you choose the single life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less than option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option, and there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, 
then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liqui- it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by... Committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of, of payments, which is in the essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life your... for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking 
monthly distributions from the assets we manage and in essence have created a quote unquote annuity for themselves by but but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff. Some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead do Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts or REITs, 
in bold letters. Now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, Um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based structure, a fee-based arrangement, that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. 
and and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And 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 the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show they can add up and they're not always obvious and you have to as Kyle says dig deeper to figure it out uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at the major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again is long-term growth the bottom line is is as you get closer to retirement and as Jeff said at the the beginning of this second hour you can't just board up your portfolio you cannot say well I'm two or three years away from retiring so now I'm just gonna move everything 100% into fixed income now I'm safe yeah preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth you always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over yeah. and we have no way of knowing 
how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit-sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week